Welcome to the King Choir, the interventional radiology podcast from SR Publications. You can learn more on our website, srweb.org slash kingchoir. In this episode, our 2023 year in review, we discuss the biggest stories of the year in IR and share excerpts of the top three IR quarterly articles and podcast episodes of the year. First, join us in the virtual studio, our King Choir hosts, Warren Krakow, Jamin Shaw, Roger Tomahama, Marty Redbani, and Sudan Desai. And from SIR staff, we have IR Quarterly Senior Managing Editor, Hope Seen, and me, Director of Publications, Brian Hapes. Great to be here, um, end of 2023. Uh, we've got uh, a good lineup here. It's been a momentous year uh, for everybody and certainly uh, in IR. It's really good to, to see everybody here. Um, and we've got, you know, it's an exciting time for, for all of us in the specialty. I think, you know, naturally at this time of year, everybody sort of looks back and, you know, thinks about, uh, you know, these milestone kinds of events, what's happened. One of the things that uh, we'd like to do today is talk about the big stories, you know, or what what we think were the big things that happened as it relates to IR. Jamin, what are your thoughts about what, what were the biggest stories or biggest things to influence IR this year? From my perspective, I think that the new SIR position statement about exclusive contracts was a big thing that happened this year. You know, a lot of practices around the country, especially with this change to an IR residency that's been around for a few years now, we're having fresh graduates come out that want to practice clinical evidence-based interventional radiology. And um, a statement like this from SIR is exactly what we needed now. Um, Lots of fresh graduates. It's turned into such a big thing that, you know, there's a town hall meeting with the ACR happening tomorrow. You know, so I think that really speaks to how important this statement was because we don't just have the attention of the interventional radiologists in our society, but it's turning into a bigger thing with the American College of Radiology. And Jamin or anybody can weigh in. Like, what do you make of the, the sort of impact of these exclusive contracts and how SIR is responding? I mean, from my perspective, I think it just opens more doors for interventional radiologists to mm-hmm. get out there and practice the way that they want to. Uh, you know, right now there are other specialties that are credentialed in hospitals to do yeah. some similar things that we may be doing. Um, and this just evens out the playing field with lots of interventional radiologists wanting to go into the OBL space. I think this gives them an opportunity to get the credentials that they need at hospitals to be able to you know, open up their shop and uh, practice in the best way they see fit for themselves and their community. Yeah, hey, this is Marty, and I definitely have to agree with you. I know uh, back when I was doing a lot more uh, IR stuff back in the early 2000s, I ran into this problem many times. I was working in a multi-specialty group and getting credentials just to be able to take my patients who needed to be cared for at the hospital and continue to follow them and care for them was a challenge at best. I mean, it was very difficult to do that and provide continuing care for my patients. And so I think this is fantastic. Um, we'll see where how things go. Yeah, it's a good point, Marty. I mean, um, it, I think it is noteworthy and interesting, as Jamin pointed out, that, you know, as we're taping this tomorrow night, there's going to be, you know, an ACR uh, component to this, you know, sort of getting other people's ears opened a little, I think, you know, in, in radiology will will perhaps go a long way. So it'll be, you're right, it'll be interesting to see how things play out. I think what you just mentioned is a critical point, which is we're now engaging the conversation. I think from our lens, we look at it from a from a singular point of view. 
but I think there's a way to make this a bi-directional win, right? But mm. now engaging the conversation, getting everyone at the table will allow that to show us and the ACR slash diagnostic radiology why this can work for everyone's benefit. And I think we've sort of not been able to have that opportunity till now, which is what I think makes this sort of a keystone or pivotal moment for us in IR. That's a good point, student. I think, and I think it's important. I mean, there's that sort of echo chamber mentality sometimes. However, I would say that you need that echo chamber. You know, that's how SIR got to the point where the position statement was put out in the first place. But you're right. Now uh, that there are people, uh, I hesitate to use the term across the aisle because we are we are colleagues. But you know, with with a different perspective, let's just say in radiology, listening and paying attention. Yeah, I agree. There there are pathways will open up to to see how we can do things going forward. So yeah, really really big and good topic uh, for. Uh, 2023, interesting to see, it will be interesting to see rather what uh, what happens next year and going forward. Roger, what, what, what was your thought about the top thing for 2023? I had a great uh, podcast with Julie Shapiro from Yale and he talked about you know his research and our research uh, together in uh, artificial intelligence and AI and in medicine. And um, you know, obviously with the current state of where things are with open AI, chat GPT, large language models, it seems like you know artificial intelligence is obviously going to be a huge component of our general lives in the future and in medicine. And it was really great to hear about the work that he's done um, in looking at liver cancer treatments. He, um, you know, and he basically uh, looked at different uh, convolutional neural networks and trying to characterize imaging findings and correlate them with um, pretreatment up or outcomes. So it was really great. Um, I, my research is sim similar uh, to him, but not in the liver cancer space. But it was just great to hear uh, what he does and, you know, of the other people in this, the field that are doing this work. Because it seems like every day on the news, we just keep hearing about OpenAI and Sam Altman and every, you know, all this crazy stuff. And I think it's, I think it was just great to hear how it's impacting interventional radiology. Yeah, and it's good to hear kind of in a positive way because there's always doom and gloom, robots are going to take over the world, Terminator yeah. 2 kinds of things out there. But um, where, so where do you see, you know, AI sort of lifting IR or, or helping IR or taking IR forward? Yeah, it's a good question. I, um, I think the beauty of AI in medicine will be eventually personalized medicine. Uh, that's the eventual goal, I think. So combining imaging with clinical data, genomic data, everything. You know, I think once we get more, you know, our registries more robust, where we can we can analyze large data sets, uh, I think we will then really probably make good headway into finding better way of doing things. I think, uh -huh. and then you know, and obviously even with imaging, if I mean, it's such a you know, um, it's such a there's so much data out there for imaging, and if, if we can leverage all that information into you know large data sets, I think we could really make an impact in the imaging field as far as us doing procedures i don't know if like that will ever be changed by ai but i could be wrong but I, I think there's a lot of in the next five to ten years you know i think there'll be lots of interesting changes to see how it affects radiology and interventional radiology i'm like you i don't i don't know you know I, I don't know much about it in general but it's it's very hard to predict i mean you wonder like you know, if after reviewing data sets, if you're going to do, 
you know, like a Y90, if, you know, mm-hmm. will there be data only embolize this branch artery? You yeah, know, right. Based I mean, on AI, you know, of thousands of, of, you know, similar studies that have, you know, been yeah. or whatever. Anyone else have thoughts about this or experience with AI in their, in their IR practice or even just generally? Yeah, I think one of the things that is going to be really interesting in, in our world, the low-hanging fruit, is just the operational benefits that are going to be derived from this. I think when you look at all the companies, the focus right now is engaging work into the platforms that help with processing speeds, even patient flow and throughput. And those are the things that are going to impact us on a day-to-day basis. You know, I think some of the other thoughts that we have, you mentioned sort of the robots will take over the world and humans will become obsolete part of it. Those, I think, are, are many years down the road and kind of, as we allude to, will really need to be refined so that they work properly to the benefit of the patient. But there are some real quick wins and hits that we can make out of this and take, even in the IR space, very similar to what's happened kind of on the diagnostic side. I think those operational wins and the data evaluation and data sets, whether they get turned into metrics to follow or dashboards that we can track, et cetera, those will be the things that allow us to really optimize patient care in the near term. That's, I, I think, very true. And, and and you're right. I think there is a parallel with diagnostic radiology. And, you know, it almost seems like it started with, you know, co- computer-assisted diagnosis and such. Um, and then it will be interesting to see, you know, those sort of quick, quick wins, as you put it. Uh, it will be interesting to see where things go from there. I think it's what could be even more interesting is right now AI is, you know, being used to look at the diagnostic studies and it will potentially help guide the practice from a procedural standpoint, surgically, interventionally. Mm-hmm. However, I think right now there's a little bit of a challenge, just which, what do you apply to what imaging studies? And I think, you know, layering the AI on the AI potentially to look at ah. the study and go, okay, which of these post-processing or studies should be applied automatically to the CT scan, to the X, you know, to the ankle x-ray and kind of even further abstracted in a sense so that it improves our workflow. Yeah, a really interesting take on it. And and a little bit like what Sudan was saying too, that, you know, the operations, if that makes sense, the operational side of how how we practice, not not just, you know, the output of, of the procedure or the image of what we do, but actually how we approach it. And it will be interesting to see, I, like, you know, like in neuro, I don't know, but you know, are there instances now, for example, where uh, a neurosurgeon says, no, this an- this aneurysm is better for me to go in and clip, whereas an IR may, you know, a neuro IR may say, no, 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 this should be coiled, where AI could sort that out in a more data-centered way? I think we're kind of starting to see those things, looking at, you know, there are some studies where we're looking at strategizing which aneurysms are more likely to rupture, which AVMs are more likely to rupture, and potentially as that data set improves, we'll have a better idea of which aneurysms, you know, need treatment more urgently or, you know, that are unruptured, as well as AVMs. I think that'll potentially help start guiding patient treatment in the future as the data sets become more mature. AI is is definitely well it's here to stay and it's and it's and it's definitely you know I think mostly for the positive um, gonna gonna lead to some real exciting things. 
with um, the impact of large language models like ChatGPT on publishing and publications. Oh, yeah. And it's just such a, a big thing on in the journal space for, you know, just in terms of authorship and what role something like ChatGPT could play in the improvement of manuscripts, not the generation of manuscripts, but the improvement. And there's always the the, the challenge of identifying fabricated data. Um, I think one of the things that uh, the journal's uh, JVIR editor-in-chief, Dan C., said a while back, the growth of artificial intelligence, the speed of the growth of artificial intelligence is outpacing the development of the related ethics. So I think there's a lot of potential there, but there is also a lot to watch for, I think. It's a whole new world. I mean, with, with AI, with, with everything that's happening. Well, one of the things we've discussed, you know, on the editorial board side is, you know, we have these articles that are manuscripts that are submitted from countries where, you know, first language is not English. Right. Is it appropriate to suggest rewriting or having ChatGPT help rewrite the manuscript so that it's more readable? It's 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 an interesting time to be in. Um, I guess kind of like the molecular genetics revolution, you know, in the 90s and you know, 2000s, where, you know, we're mapping entire genomes, and we didn't know what to do necessarily right away with that information or how to use it. Um, so here, here we are again, I guess, another another crossroads. Marty, what about your your take on the, on the year so far? Almost done. The year almost done. Well, it is the big uh, thing that really happened in the is in the stroke area that uh, co- uh, overlaps with interventional. And for those who are doing stroke uh, out there, the volume of cases is going up uh, really because of the new trials that came out with the large core infarcts. We used to kind of stop at like 50 to 70 cc's or a CT aspect score of six or above. And there were four trials that I'm aware of published from international studies, as well as a fifth one that was presented at an international conference. And they're really advocating now um, treating patients with large strokes. So strokes that are up to 150 cc's in some cases. So we're talking about an aspect score of two or better, um, Mm -hmm. which really increases the number of potential patients, which then brings out another number of questions is we already have problems with access. Um, do more IRs need to be doing stroke, as painful as it can be from a call standpoint, or because we can treat these larger strokes, are we going to be transferring more, but will that overwhelm our transfer system? And so it really uh, becomes kind of a, it, it'll play out and we'll see how this goes. But that was really uh, from a, in the neuro world, that was kind of one of the big things uh, in the last year. Yeah, really potentially revolutionizing, you know, a revolutionary, if you, if you think about that number or percentage of patients that could potentially be helped by the technology, um, really something. Other other people have any takes on that or, or, or thoughts? I mean, I think what Martin said was, you know, spot on, the access to care is going to be a big issue yeah. moving forward. And you know, I've noticed that some of the trainees that I work with and when they're looking for fellowships, they're looking for stroke training or at least some aspect of interventional training. So, you know, I hope this pushes that needle forward where more and more programs incorporate some level of stroke training for their trainees. And then um, you know, I think there have been some iterations of uh, getting some sort of certification or some sort of um, dedicated Maybe approval isn't the right word, but credentials to say that you're trained to perform stroke interventions. 
Well, you just hit something else that you just reminded me of. Um, the We've had a real challenge in past years, uh, kind of the turf battles of stroke, and the uh, industry has changed their tune. And there are, uh, for the first time since 2015, 2016, uh, industry is actually having courses to train IRs mm. in stroke treatment. I think it alludes to the fact that for the last seven, eight years, we've been trying to kind of crack that nut and we finally have gotten, you know, that conversation's happened. IRs do stroke. That's part of our wheelhouse now. Not everybody, but there are those individuals who do it. And now the next step is, okay, let's get people the proper training and keep them up to date on what's going on. Marty, is there a sense sort of to, to Jamin in your point, is there a sense of what the gap is now in terms of training? You know, how many more stroke trained IRs or neuro IRs do we need or? Uh, that is something I would have to, I'd have to okay. go back and look up. The numbers I have are several years old at this point. Okay. But it's palpable in the sense that it, I, I don't do, I'm not in the stroke world, but it's palpable in the sense that you know, you're waiting for patients to get transferred all the time and you're, you know, I mean, it's, it's known in other words, it's an issue. Oh yeah, it's it's known. I mean, we know that in the big cities, you know, in it's not as much of an issue, but really in when you get start getting out to suburban and more rural areas, that's where the real deficit is in access for patients. And unfortunately, you know, if you go to each the West Coast and the East Coast, access is pretty good. Uh, mm -hmm. You go to the middle of the United States, not so much. Yeah, it's like that. I think all over medicine, and we, you know, we've certainly we've seen it in IR, and then, you know, as new studies come out, as new technology emerges, it does seem that, as you pointed out, the big cities, the coasts, you know, that you know things gravitate there first, and and it diffuses at some rate, but you know, I don't know what the rate is, and I don't know if the rate is fast enough to keep up with uh, everybody. Great thing to look forward to. Hopefully, you know, 2024 will, will bring some improvements in that. Soon, what about you? What do you what did you make of 2023? You know, I, I think it's been a really great year. And particularly in the PEDS IR space, we have really begun to see, I think, a fundamental mind shift. And I think it follows on the back of the IR residency, which which really for us is going to be a boon in the sense that there's a lot more interest in doing pediatric interventional radiology. Mm. And we now have multiple applications for singular fellowship spots, which we were not able to engage before. I think whether it's a lack of time or energy, but the, what the IR residency does is it obviates the need for a primary fellowship before you do pediatric IR. Mm. And so in the minds of many, going to do a fellowship, and so why not do peds IR, right? And so for us, the interest level at this point is really starting to jump as these early-ish early graduates are coming through the system. They're you know looking at things like peds IR or stroke or oncology, as sort of sub subspecialties within the space. Whereas before, I think the deterrent was it was a requisite second year sometimes of training to kind of get to this level of expertise. So I would say for us, it's a downstream benefit, but but we look forward to the increase in the number of applications for, for the pediatric IR fellowships. 
That's great. It's great to hear that perspective. It's and you know, just listening to you kind of reminds me a little bit of neuro IR in the sense that there were there, like you got to do just as a resident or fellow, it just looks so daunting. You've got to do different training and different fellowships and you know what whatnot. But now you know with barriers being broken a little bit by the residency, um, yeah, I totally see how that would pave the way for for more folks to to train in it and and. You know, probably similar. I don't know, but you know, going back to Marty's point about uh, you know that sort of uh, not having enough neuro IRs, I'm sure it's. I don't know this, but I'm sure it's the same for PD. Is is it? If I take a step back, you know, a lot of the commentary that we make is that PEDS IR is sort of following the quote adult IR space in terms of growth and development. So we're we're probably about a decade behind hmm. the adult space, and so. We have always had a dearth of applicants for dedicated pediatric IR positions. And I think your, your stroke slash neuro IR analogy is very apropos in the sense that it doesn't matter whether you have the title or not, the services need the provision. And so, you know, groups need people that have some level of comfort in these spaces. And so building in the PEDS IR portion and, and to some extent the neural IR portion into the residency, giving them the exposure, at least builds a foundation. But we, we greatly suffer from the need versus availability conversation. I mean, there's, if you look right now on the Society of Pediatric Interventional Radiology website, you know, there's, there's almost 15 openings at the moment for every applicant. And so they're not filling, and, and many of these positions now have gone unfilled for a couple of years. And so I think, you know, the interest is the first point, and then to piggyback on top of that, having people that are actually now engaging in the fellowships, that will allow us to disseminate, right? And it, it, again, the same way we kind of built the adult IR practices and space, as we get more of a critical mass and the need continues to be illustrated, it will give us more of a say in terms of how we get to do things and the way that we're looked at from a hospital standpoint. So I, I think these are all good things for us in the pediatric IR space and certainly look forward to kind of what 24 is going to present in terms of more and more people engaging. It's so interesting. I mean, just even again, I'm just reminded just in our little conversation today about how diverse IR is. And, you know, you know, people who aren't in IR, I think, you know, I think sometimes think of us as, I don't know, like a lab or, you know, like, well, let's just order uh, this from IR. And, and just look at what we've been talking about today. I mean, such, you know, real differences and and you know, really an amazing field. I mean, we all know it. We're 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 talking about it, but uh, and interesting too to see how forces are are really sometimes similar forces shaping things that on the surface would seem not to have much to do with each other. Coiling an aneurysm or treating a stroke versus a, a pediatric. Uh, you know, really really fascinating stuff. Thank you all, Brian. I think am I turning it over to you now? So next, Hope will share some 2023 updates from IR Quarterly and the new website, irq.surweb.org. So 2023 was an interesting year for IR Quarterly because we started the year with two really big splashes. The first was we got the new IR Quarterly website. 
It has great new features. It just makes it easier to navigate, easier to find your topics. You can go and, and read every article written by one of your favorite authors, a whole lot of better search functionality. But it also has brought IR Quarterly and The Kinked Wire and SIR Today in one place. So that content is all really accessible, really available. It's just a lot easier for members to navigate. And with that, we launched the website with our 2023 special section this year. It was the access to health. So it really focused on healthcare disparities. And we had some great content talking on, you know, how workforce shortages are impacting areas like Hawaii and rural practices, rural communities, or the importance of informed consent, health literacy. Dr. Radvani contributed uh, on stroke disparities. It was just a really great issue. Um, and I think if, if anybody hasn't checked it out yet, I highly recommend it. But what's interesting is Dr. Desai was talking about pediatrics. Uh, in 2024, we're launching another special issue, which is entirely on pediatrics. And it really speaks to a lot of those points that were mentioned about training and awareness and this need to fill the workforce and how there is a larger need for IR interventions on pediatric patients than there are specifically trained pediatric IRs. So this special section really speaks to that. It speaks to, um, you know, some of the trauma guidelines that just came out, training pathways, how to get medical students aware at the top, but then also some pearls for adult IRs, body IRs who do find themselves working on pediatric patients, those things that you have to take into consideration. So that'll be coming out in January of 2024. We'll be starting the year with pediatrics, uh, which I'm very excited for. Yeah, sounds exciting. And and all of those topics, some of, some of them we obviously touched on today, but, uh, you know, really good stuff to come. A lot of people to thank, right, Brian? Absolutely. Um, definitely want to thank all of our guests for their time. Um, at the start of the year, we had Alda Tam talking about her expectations and vision for becoming SIR president for 2023-2024. We had a DVT patient story from Sheila Ehlert. Uh, and then Carrie Hayes and Nick Oravets were on to speak with you, Warren, for um, APP episodes on the value of uh, uh, APPs and IR. Uh, and then Julius Shapiro is on talking about AI with uh, Roger. We had Suresh Vedantham on, uh, Matt Johnson coming back to talk about Preserve. And then, of course, we also absolutely want to thank all of the hosts we've had this year really uh, make the, the show work. Uh, Barbara Nickel Hamilton, Roger Tomahama, uh, Warren, you you had several episodes. And then, of course, as you mentioned, uh, you and Marty kind of co-hosted uh, the one episode we've had a co-host talking about the uh, your experiences with different uh, practice settings. And then most recently, uh, Eleanor Lee and Saraj Sagu on uh, biodesign with uh, Greg Kotorov as their guest. And then also, I, I definitely want to thank for the GVIR audio abstracts. Uh, Romel Nocha has been doing a fantastic job this year of leading that effort uh, every month, providing uh, audio of featured abstracts from each issue's JVIR. And then again, mentioning earlier the Sound of IR podcast collaboration. Um, they've generously provided some of their content that we've uh, uh, repurposed on Kinked Wire. So I want to thank uh, the host, Eric Cyphers and Subash Guti and others as well um, on that team for the, the interviews we've had from that series, including with 
Dr. Stanley Baum before he passed, and then Dr. David Kumpi. So some real pioneers in IR um, were, were on that that series. And then, of course, uh, we definitely want to thank uh, Penumbra for their support earlier this year as well. Yeah, I want to thank everybody, uh, you, Brian, Hope, and certainly Jamin. I mean, Jamin, is, have we been doing this? Is, are we in the fifth year now? Is that possible? I we're starting our fifth year? or That's correct. Going, We're and, just finishing the fourth season. Lots of thanks to everybody. And uh, yeah, as we as we look into 20, 2024, I'm going to just I'm going to randomly just start with with Marty. But so the, the question coming up, given that we're, we're at the 50th anniversary, where do you see IR in general 50 years from now? I don't think my imagination's that good. I mean, <laughs> you, you look at what's happened over the last 50 years. I mean, it's yeah. amazing. You know, I mean, okay, Charles Dodder envisioned some of these things that we're doing nowadays, but there are others clearly that have moved forward uh, um, with all the different things going on right now. And I'll even, you know, throw AI back in there. Who knows where we're going to be in another 50 years? I mean, the technology, our understanding of medical conditions just keeps evolving. Roger, what do you think? Uh, you know, with AI and everything, where what are we going to be doing 50 years from now? I'm going to be retired. I know that. <laughs> yeah, that's a, I I think the only the your imagining the imagination can imagine whatever. I think there's so many different possibilities that I don't think we can even contemplate what it will look like. I mean, I know that we'll still having taking care of our patients and we'll still be in the hospital, but. You know, I imagine Star Trek with a little wand that Scotty, <laughs> I really think there's going to be a wand that you put over a person and they're going to diagnose things. But uh, yeah, I'm looking so forward to seeing how the changes. Instead of like a comfy catheter, it'll be like a Tomahama, uh, whatever. Suden, what do you think? 50 years from now. You know, I, I would love to see an environment where we are able to do tele-IR, where things are so integrated at a technology level that we no longer have to be functionally present. Ah. Uh, so just to diffuse into underserved environments and areas, mm -hmm. whether we consider this domestically or internationally. Um, but we are such a technology-driven field that I feel we really should be able to pull off or achieve something like that. It, it really would be, I think, sort of, you know, the feather in the cap of the society to really then be able to show how integral we are. And, and it doesn't matter kind of the level of service uh, of the hospital, but we can be a part of it, right? Every, every little thing that we do has value somewhere. And, and I think I would love to be able to demonstrate that on a, on a more universal or global scale that would be really cool and, and you know it almost like touches on a lot of things we talked about today right i mean availability of services uh lack of access even maybe you know i don't know maybe even uh, uh contracts and 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 such um and it almost i don't know it seems like it could happen it seems doable uh i mean, i don't know how to do it but it seems like it's it's possible i guess is what i mean jamin what do you think I think a few things are going to change, but uh, first, I hope the doctor-patient relationship stays the same. Yeah. 50 years from now, I hope that that's something that everybody values and, uh, you know, we're able to hold on to. Um, but I think as we've seen and has, you know, Marty's mentioned over the past 50 years, 
we've gotten more and more minimally invasive. And I think we're going to see more and more of that happen. And IR is going to be the field that pioneers, you know, those new procedures, those new technologies that we come up with to be able to do things, um, you know, from a minimally invasive standpoint. You just kind of think back to how we used to do things 50 years ago. I mean, the amount of things that we can do now and put crazy stents and, you know, no brain aneurysms without having to do, you know, craniotomies and clippings and things like that. um, I think we're going to see lots of progress in that space. Yeah, it's it's kind of like you you just said, Jim, and but almost everyone has said it's almost like beyond our imagination, because like Marty, you said fifty years ago, you couldn't have imagined what we'd be up to now. Um, you know, it would just be hard hard to really picture that. Um, I don't. I guess I would say I sort of take off on a point you made, Jim, and I think I, I would go the non tech route and hope that we're able to maintain the doctor patient relationship. I'd like to I'd like to see the, the the doctors get control a little bit back of our practices and and I think the the reason for that is to to be sort of uh, back in the the driver's seat in a little bit of a way and get back with our patients um, so that would be what I would like to see this has been great uh, really want to thank everybody for for turning out you know we'll see what happens in 50 years but sooner than that we'll see what happens in 2024 and had some great conversations reflections on 2023 and sir is just around the corner all right thanks thank you all thank you appreciate it in the second part of our year in review episode we shared the top three downloaded 2023 articles of ir quarterly you can find the full version of each article on irq.surweb.org first is opportunities for irs and radiotheranostics by Islam El Health MD, PhD. I am Dr. Islam El Health. I am an interventional radiologist and the medical director of the Radiotheranostics program at the Medical College of Georgia, Augusta University, Georgia. It is my pleasure to introduce my article about opportunities for interventional radiologists in radiotheranostics. As a board certified interventional radiologist and a nuclear medicine physician, I do believe that we have reached a point in clinical practice where it is extremely important for interventional radiologists to be well educated about radiotheranostics and the potential opportunities that this innovative field can bring into our practice as interventional radiologists in general and particularly for interventional oncologists. In this article, I explain the basic concepts of radiotheranostics in a simplified way I go through the most common clinical applications of radiotheranostics in current clinical practice, and I highlight the value of modern PET imaging scans and explain the factors that need to be considered for successful patient selection for this innovative treatment. I then emphasize the added value that interventional radiologists can bring if intra-arterial radiotheranostic administration proved to bring better outcomes and improve the survivals, in current clinical trials. I also directed the readers to additional resources to learn more about radiotheranostics. And now, an excerpt from Opportunities for IR in Radiotheranostics, which was published in the spring 2023 issue of IR Quarterly. Interventional radiology is an essential player in modern clinical oncology practice. Almost all tumor boards nowadays have a seat reserved for IR. 
As a physician trained in both interventional radiology and nuclear medicine, I believe we have reached a point where IRs need to be well informed about radiotheranostics and potential IR opportunities as we move towards intra-arterial radiotheranostic therapies in the future. Part 1. What is radiotheranostics? Radiotheranostics is a platform that combines the diagnostic and therapeutic aspects of oncology practice into one paradigm. In radiotheranostics, a chemically sophisticated ligand is designed to attach to tumor-specific receptors. When the ligand is linked to a diagnostic radionuclide, a high-quality diagnostic scan is produced that accurately maps the sites of active disease and the density of tumor-specific receptors. When the same ligand is linked to a therapeutic radionuclide, the resultant radiopharmaceutical attacks the same receptors with high accuracy, resulting in highly selective therapeutic effect. The two common clinical applications of radiotheranostics nowadays are the use of lutathera for treatment of gastroenteropancreatic neuroendocrine tumors and the use of pluvicto for treatment of castration-resistant metastatic prostate cancer. Taking NETs as an example, gallium-68 dotatate is commonly performed first to check the extent of the disease and to evaluate the presence of sufficient receptor density to proceed with the treatment. If the scan is favorable, treatment with lutathera is then started. Treatment is in the form of intravenous infusions, usually four sessions with eight-week intervals between sessions. The second article is Short-Term Work, Long-Term Possibilities. The Pros and Cons of Locum Tendon's Work by Sonali Mahandru, MD, which also appeared in the Summer 2023 IRQ. This is Sonali Mahandru. I am an interventional radiologist and I'm currently practicing in Albuquerque, New Mexico. In 2017, I found myself at an unexpected juncture in my career where for a variety of reasons, locum tendons work ended up being the best option for me at that time. I had never done locum's work myself, nor did I personally know anyone who had. So it was a bit of an adventure into the unknown for me. However, what I learned was that despite some of the stereotypes, there were actually many positive benefits to that type of practice. In fact, in recent years, the popularity of locum's work has only increased among interventional radiologists. However, many IRs in full-time jobs do not have any experience with this type of practice model. So this was my motivation for writing my article in IR Quarterly. I hope it was useful for readers, and I hope that maybe it even inspired some interventional radiologists to be unafraid of pursuing a practice style that is maybe more conducive to a work-life balance than their current situation. And now, short-term work, long-term possibilities, the pros and cons of locum tenens work by Sonali Mahandru, MD. Resourcefulness is a skill often talked about in interventional radiology. When faced with a difficult case, we look to our knowledge of familiar catheters, sheaths, guide wires, needles, and other IR equipment to concoct a customized technical strategy to get the job done. In fact, many of us were attracted to this innovative aspect of our specialty to begin with. But what about resourcefulness outside the procedure room? When you are faced with an unexpected challenge in life or suddenly find yourself on an uncertain career path, how can that same resourcefulness help you find a solution or reset your professional trajectory? In 2017, 
I have found myself facing just such an unforeseen situation in my career. In what seemed like a blink of an eye, I was having to look for a new job opportunity in an incredibly competitive IR job market. By then, I had several years of experience in the real world of IR and knew what I wanted and needed from a job. I wanted clinic time and the ability to practice 100% IR so I could focus on bringing new beneficial IR procedures to my patients. But the job market I was facing had very little to offer me in that regard. With very few options ahead of me, I turned to what I thought would be a short-term solution, locum tenens work. With no expectations, I hoped only that it would provide income while I searched for a better opportunity. Instead, I found a different kind of practice model, one that provides both opportunities and challenges, taught me about resourcefulness outside the procedure suite, and made me a better IR. The final top IR quarterly article of the year is Medical Robotics, Understanding Medical Needs and Measures of Success by Janice Newsom, MD, FSIR, John T. Moon, MD, Peter Chu Park, MD, Camille Arif, MD, Judy Gachoya, MD, Keisha Thomas, Deepak Iyer, and Zachary Berku, MD, which was published in the summer 2023 issue of IR Quarterly. Interventional radiology is at a critical juncture. In many medical centers, demand is high and ability to deliver is limited as is space for new technology. CT scanners were paid for and deployed in an era when the questions were twofold. Is it cancer? And what type of cancer is it? In today's clinical trials, there is an increasing demand for more frequent biopsies and tissue analysis, driven by the need to advance immunotherapies and biomarkers. The addition of CT scanners remains cost and space prohibitive for medical centers and radiology departments. Furthermore, labor shortages among technologists, nurses, and proceduralists would limit utilization even if additional technology could be deployed. Endovascular procedures like prostate artery embolization are available to patients with access to highly specialized medical centers, but remain elusive to those in settings where specialists are not available. At times, critically ill patients who may need experienced proceduralists are too sick to reach the specialized medical center for an embolization or a global pandemic triggers resource limitations and inability to transfer patients. All this demand is occurring in the setting of burnout among healthcare workers and social events like quiet quitting. In short, how do we provide more IR services to more patients more efficiently and more effectively without adding any resources or increasing risk of burnout or adverse event? Again, all these articles and much more can be found on the IR Quarterly website, irq.surweb.org. The final part of our year in review is the top three podcast episodes of 2023. The first, which was published on March 29, is The Potential of Advanced Practice Providers in Interventional Radiology, hosted by Dr. Warren Krakow with physician assistants Carrie Hayes and Nick Orovitz as guests. Here's a clip from the episode. There is a lot of mystery about, well, how can Carrie do a port placement? How does she even know how to do that? There wasn't a special school that she went to that uh, taught her to yep. do that, right? So how do you get that training? I think there's also questions about how you even become a PA or how you become an NP. Yep. So there are a lot of questions there. And then furthermore, once we get in spaces, we often have to say, hey, did you know I can do this? 
I have this training. I have this skill. Mm -hmm. This is how I learned. Here are my case logs to show that I placed vascular access for over a year and I was trained on the job. So yeah, I think it is interesting, but where we thrive are settings where, you know, our team, our physicians, the group we're working with hear that and say, yeah, we need this for our practice work to grow. And you have the skills. Let's work together. If there are things you know how to do, great. Let's do those. If you don't, let's get you up to speed. And I would say just from my own personal experience, I mean, I've worked in environments both where there were APPs and where there were not. And I can overwhelmingly say as a radiologist and as an IR that it just makes life so much better if there are APPs integrated into the practice. I sort of grew up, I guess I would say, in, in environments where there were APPs and then found myself uh, for one reason or another in practices that didn't have that. And it's just such a glaring difference and really uh, completely rounds things out. So for IRs out there who, for whatever reason, may not uh, have the benefit of having APPs as part of their practice, I would entirely recommend looking into it, interfacing with the uh, SIR MPPA section, check out the resources there because it will really change the way you practice. The second episode, which also touches on one of our top stories of the year, was published on May 23rd, The Current and Future Role of Artificial Intelligence in Interventional Radiology, with Dr. Roger Tomahama as host and Dr. Julius Shapiro as guest. Here's a clip. What other interventional radiology groups have been working with AI in the IR world? Do you know of any other groups that are working on specific cool things? Yeah, so it's it's actually quite interesting. You know, my first paper on that topic that we published actually in 2018, I think, in JVIR with Aaron Abasian. He's currently a fellow at the Moral Sloan Kettering. We published that paper in 2018. It was like an innocent cohort of 39 patients. And uh, we investigated the use of logistic regression in simple random forests and, mm-hmm. and like about 40 patients who underwent taste and to predict their the response to taste. And what happened was that this paper got cited like 150 times within two years or so. And as I was reviewing some of these papers and folks that are citing us, I actually discovered so many different groups that are focusing on on very similar stuff. And I just have to say, so the vast majority of that kind of research is actually originating in China right now because they have really large data sets and large cohorts and large numbers of patients in HCC that they can actually effectively put through into those algorithms. I mean, obviously the piggy lab at Penn is doing a lot of work. There are some folks at Brown, formerly Hopkins Brown, that are doing similar research with focus on that. I think that people all across the country are starting to get into it. And, mm-hmm. you know, I receive emails from residents and fellows who are asking me how to get started and what kind of research to do, how many patients do they need to get started, what they need to yeah. know, what they need to learn. And it's really coming to a point where a lot of people are trying to, to get into it. People in Europe, folks in Germany and France, you know, team up between radiologists, interventional radiologists and pathologists and are mm-hmm. doing pretty advanced such research. So I think we're going to see much more of that. The final top episode of the year, which was published on January 25, featured host Dr. Barbara Nichol Hamilton speaking with 2023 to 2024 SIR President Dr. Alda Tam about her experiences in SIR leadership and her vision for the society during her term. You know, while the pandemic had us shut down, you know, globally or in a societal way, we've actually undergone a lot of different changes in the SIR, some of which you mentioned, including the governance structure, as well as the launch of the Vertex registry and all the other things that we have going on. So 
you know, hopefully the new governance structure is going to open up more opportunities for volunteers to engage in a manner that they find valuable. And the Vertex Registry is a really important step for us to get real-time data, to look at quality um, benchmarking and establish thresholds for a lot of the procedures that we do. I think in, in line with the theme that I've outlined in standards, uh, my goal in the short time that I have would be to help our society move forward so that we're more on equal footing across many of the clinical disciplines in which we interact. So it would be great for us to be able to have more collaboration and cooperation with the different societies, as well as take the lead on a, a number of clinical areas, you know, such as the work in terms of venous thromboembolic disease and the exciting things we have ongoing in terms of hemodialysis and, and also to continue to make inroads within oncology becoming a fourth pillar. You can find those and all our Kinkwire episodes on serweb.org slash kinkwire. That concludes our 2023 year in review. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will continue tuning in in the year ahead on irq.serweb.org. Watch for SIR 2024 annual scientific meeting previews and coverage to be published in the SIR Today section of the site, or sirtoday.org, beginning in February 2024. If you have any thoughts or ideas for us, or would like to get involved, drop us a line at kinkwire.serweb.org. At